0: Morning, church. How y'all doing? You like that? I've only been in the South for a couple of months and I got the y'all down. <laughs> Fixing. you guys. Are, you guys are really effective and you guys are really economical with the language down here. You shorten everything down. And that's what we've been doing the last um, uh, four weeks now uh, with our series that we're in right now. Habitudes, we've shortened it down, we've taken this habit, the word habit, and we've, we've taken the word attitudes and we've smushed them together and we've come up with habitudes. And the big idea here is that if we practice godly habits and adopt a Christ-like attitude, we're going to have a much easier life. Now, does that mean that life is just going to be a bowl of cherries? No, it does not mean that. Life is going to go on here on earth and continue to go on until Jesus comes back, amen. We will have things like taxes, which we didn't have in Alaska, and you guys have a lot of those here, so I'm getting used to paying taxes, I can tell you really hate them, um, taxes, so you have taxes here, we're going to have things like traffic, uh, that's never going to go away until Jesus comes back apparently. <laughs> they keep putting that expressway, and it keeps getting further and further, but it doesn't seem to be expressing anywhere. I'm not sure exactly how that works. I, 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 I couldn't figure out for the longest time I was here. I said, "How do they get onto that road that's got no traffic on it?" That's what I want to know. I said, "Well, you got to go get one of these things on your car." And I, saw so I'm super happy, and I got one of those things on my car, thinking, "Yes!" And then every time I go to get on it, it says it's closed. I'm like, "What the heck is going on here?" It's a bait and switch you guys got going on down here, but. You know things are going to go on we 're going to have all kinds of pain in the world there's going to be there's going to be hurricanes there's going to be uh, NFL controversies things are going to be crazy until Christ comes back. but when we approach it with these habitudes with this gospel centered attitude and gospel centered habits, our life will be immeasurably better today 's sermon is going to cover a section of Philippians four today verses eight and nine so If you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out or get your Bible app out. And everybody, does everybody have? I know everybody's got a smartphone, but does everybody have at least one Bible app on their phone? I've got like 30 of them. That doesn't make me any more holy. I just have 30 Bible apps. They're free, so I'm getting lots of the free apps. So make sure you have it. You can take it wherever you want to go. But uh, we're going to be there in just a second. And uh, I got my handy little graphic here. And, of course, this here is a laptop, and it looks like it's a MacBook Air. We're not going to talk about which is better today, PC or Mac, um, because that's not important, Mac. But... Um, Look, <laughs> I slipped out. I don't know what the heck happened there. But chances are one of you have one of these little uh, laptops, or you've used one in your lifetime, uh, unless you've been living in a cave. Uh, and these are wonderful little devices, these portable computing devices devices we we store our entire lives on these right we can store uh, thousands and thousands of pictures and emails and addresses and and music and they're fantastic but they're only as good and only as useful as the data that's put on them if you put bad data on them you're going to get bad data out <clears throat> and uh, there's a There's a saying, a phrase in the computing world, no doubt you've heard it. It's garbage in, garbage... Right, garbage in, garbage out. If you put garbage into your computer, chances are you're going to get garbage out. If you put real garbage into your computer, chances are your computer will be broken. You'll get nothing out, but garbage in, garbage out. this is uh, 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 something we're going to look at today as we look at this scripture. If you know this scripture, Paul's talking uh, in here in Philippians about this idea that what we take in through our senses affects what comes out of us, right? So when, when I was a kid, and I'm going to date myself here, my very first computer when I was a teenager was an Apple II Plus. Does anybody remember what an Apple II Plus was? couple of you. Some of you, I've seen them in museums. So, well, you know what? The amazing thing about this, when you turned an Apple II on, it was scary. Your whole house shook. The lights would dim, and it would sound like somebody was trying to start up an old Model T, right? It's like, and there was lots of noise and lots of machinations. And when it finally went through all this stuff, what you got was a blank screen with a rectangle box. And that's it. That's all it did when you turned it on. You know, there was no desktop. There was no sign-in. It just had a little box. And you had to tell your computer. I know some of these younger people are looking at me going, what is he talking about? You had to tell the computer what to do, right? And we had something called basic programming language. And, and what you did is you, you got on there and, and you told the computer what to do using these basic commands that you learned in school. It was, pretty, it was fairly simple to do, but more often than not, what you do is you type in a program, and it would spit an answer back at you that you didn't want. It wouldn't do what you wanted. It would tell you, you've made an error in such and such line. It would tell you, bad subroutine error in line 600. And I'm like, well, thank you for telling me, well, why don't you just fix it, and then we can go on with the rest of our day. But the computers weren't that smart. Now they are. It's the lowest common denominator. When you turn on your computer, it does things for you, and that's great. But still, it's only as good as the data you put onto it. You can, you can create a beautiful Excel sped- spreadsheet and ask it to create a beautiful graph for you. And it will. But if the data that you put into that spreadsheet uh, is bad, you're going to get a beautiful graph, but it's not going to comport with reality, right? It's not going to matter because it's bad data. We've had the same problem around here recently. We've, we've got a, a pretty awesome uh, church management system that helps us make our life a lot easier. And it runs a lot of the things around here that you use all the time. If you've ever checked your kids into Kids Church, when you go up there and you do that, that's our church management software, and it's called Ministry Platform. When you get an email, when you get your giving statement from the church, when you get any correspondence from the church, chances are it was generated by Ministry Platform. It's a very helpful tool, and we were using it to look at some of our engagement data. Well, the problem is through... Uh, transferring data around and entering data in and all this stuff out. It turns out that a lot of our data was wrong. So the reports that were coming out of it were wrong as well. They looked nice. Again, you had these nice charts and graphs and everything. But because the garbage went in, the garbage, of course, comes out. And the principle for this week, of course, is our minds are like sophisticated laptops. Right? They can do a lot. You can store pictures and music. They will help you uh, uh, in many phases of your life. They're portable. You take them with you everywhere. Most of us take our brains with us everywhere. I know if you've ever had a teenager in your house, you might doubt that statement, but we really do. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you there. But... uh, it, again, it's only as good as the data we put on there. So in a second, we're going to read together the scripture from Philippians 4.8. So if you haven't gotten there already, if you want to get there. But in the meantime, I want to, I want to mention a couple of quotes here that I came across uh, in studying for this week's sermon. And the first one is from John Locke, who was this um, social philosopher in the 18th century. And he says, he said, the ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. Let me say that again. The ideas and images in our minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. Twain said it a little bit differently, Mark Twain. He said what a wee little part of a person's life are his words. His real life is led in his head and is known to none but himself. All day long the mill of his brain is grinding. And I was thinking about these things and and Uh, And as luck would have it, or as, of course, God would have it, he uh, had me uh, listening to a sermon this morning by a guy by the name of Alistair Begg. Some of you might know him. He's a pastor up in Cleveland, Scottish guy. And he had this quote that he read, and he said, uh, you are not what you think you are, but you are what you think you are. See that? The difference is what you think about is what you really are. The things that we think about, the things that we process in our heads, these images that are in our minds are who we become. It's who, what our actions are. It determines our actions. It determines our thoughts. It determines the things we like, the things we enjoy, the way we treat our, our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. All these things start in our mind and by the things we put in there. So let's go ahead and read the scripture together. This is important that we as a congregation follow along whenever the Holy Scripture is read. So let me read it for you. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice And the God of peace will be with you. So whatever you think on. The ideas and images in your minds. Do these things. I'm going to bring up this this picture. Because it's important um, in this uh, sermon series. That every time we do a sermon on habitudes. We have to have a gross picture of a brain. So. I have a gross picture of a brain here, and I want to point to a, a really important part of our brain that you probably didn't even know you had. But nevertheless, it's there, and it's called the reticular activating system. Memorize that and say it, because you will sound a lot smarter. You don't even have to know what it does, just say it all the time. Reticular activating system. And what it does is it controls a lot of what we do, our waking, our sleeping. It's a sophisticated filter, so it kind of acts like a spam filter, right? Uh, screening out junk and information that we don't really need. It acts like an executive assistant. It prioritizes things for us. It allows you to focus on what you value, the ideas and images in your mind, and it allows you to perceive threats and it supports you when you set goals. It has the primary function to cause you to move in the direction of the dominant thought at the moment. So your brain has a part of it which causes you to focus on the things that are right in front of you or the things that you are receiving through your sensory inputs. Now, this is important. Obviously, if we see a threat, we sense that threat, and that part of our brain makes us pay attention to it. We see a red light. We know to stop. If we don't stop, what happens? T-bone, that's what's going to happen. When we see a piece of chocolate cake, we realize that's a threat. <laughs> and, and, we, and we push through that threat and we eat that piece of chocolate cake anyway. We're courageous, brave. <laughs> now, Twain's quote, remember what he said. I want to point out what was something wrong with Mark Twain's quote. It's a pretty good quote. But you have to understand that Mark Twain was an infamous atheist. He didn't believe in God. In fact, he he spoke against him a lot. Um, And so what he said was, is that the course of a a man's life is what's really happening. What really happens in a man's life is really in his head. And nobody knows it but himself. So nobody knows what's going on inside of your brain, he says, but you. But is that true? I can think of at least one other person who knows what's going on inside of your brain. And it's not your, your wife who t- seems to be some sort of strange mind reader, at least in my house. No, it's God, of course. God knows what's going on inside of your brain. He can see it. And, and remember when Jesus was talking about he was, he was talking about sin, and he, and he used the, the sin of adultery, and he says, "Yes, it's bad if you go out and commit adultery, but it's just as bad if you think about it. That is also a sin. And the other thing to remember is what goes inside of our brain, it's not like Vegas. It doesn't just stay there, right? It spills out. What we take in and we process, we filter, it controls who we are, what we do, what we say, and how we treat other people. What we store on our hard drive affects who we are. It can and does even affect us physically. I I. I Everybody's always has remarked on this, and so I'm not going to be the first person to talk about it, but if you take a look at a guy uh, when he becomes president, and then take a look at him four years later, you can see the stress. And just the, the hair turns gray, the wrinkles get a lot deeper, and that's because they're what they're taking in a lot of the times affects them physically. It physically changes them over the course of four, eight years. And so that when they leave, they've, they've seen the threats of the world, uh, the threats that they constantly have to address every single day. They, they've had to make some, some literally uh, life-changing decisions for millions and millions of people, and it affects the way we are. So we have to be careful what we're taking in. That's why Paul is trying to tell us here, be careful what you think on. Think on things like truth. Think on things that are lovely. Think on things that are right. And essentially what these are are lists of God's attributes. This is who God is. God is truth. God is love. Now we don't just say that God loves. We actually say that God is love because he is the source and the definition of love. We don't just say that God says true things, although that is true. We say that God is is truth. So if you find yourself at a loss of things, of true things to think on or beautiful things to think on, what you can always do is go back to think on the Trinity. Go back and think on God himself because he is the source of all these things. Paul's telling us we have to guard the gate here, this gate, because we are affected by the things we put in our brain. So let's go through a few of these one at a time. Some of them will spend uh, a little bit more time on than others. The first one we say, God sa- or, uh, Paul says, think on whatever is true. Scripture says, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. In his truth, he is a shield. If you remember in Ephesians, the belt of truth is the thing that keeps the, the whole armor together. It's the thing that we hang on. All the instruments from the sword from. We hang everything from this belt of truth. It is, the, it is the foundation of our lives, of our faith. And God is truth. Now, there are people out there who say the tr- truth is relative. We'll talk about them in a, in a few minutes. But let's take a, let's take a quick quiz. I want to prove to you that there is truth in the world. Okay. True or false? The sky is blue. True. You shouldn't have to think about that. It's an easy question. Low-hanging fruit here, guys. The sky is blue. True. My first name is Brian. True. Right. Excellent. Okay. Uh, The Washington Nationals will win the World Series this year. Yeah, we don't know if that's true or not yet. Okay. Uh, An easy one for you. All bachelors are unmarried. Some of you had to think about that for a second bachelors. That's true. It's logically true, right? There's never going to be a case where you find a bachelor who is married. It's a logical contradiction. So we do have truth in the world. And yes, there are people in the world who say that truth is relative. And I have learned a really great phrase that y'all say here in the South when somebody says something really stupid. You say, oh, bless your heart, I love it. It's so nice. We don't have anything like that in the north. It's fantastic. So when they say, oh, there's no such thing as absolute truth, you just say, them, listen, oh, bless your heart, but do you understand what you're saying? You're telling me there is no such thing as absolute truth. Do you believe that it's truthful what you just told me? Because I don't believe I should, if there's no such thing as absolute truth, I shouldn't believe anything that's coming out of your mouth right now. It's a logical contradiction. So what people really mean when they say there's no such thing as absolute truth is that there's no such thing as absolute moral truth. That's what they're trying to get at. And we will talk about this when we get to the part of when we're supposed to think unrighteous. But let's go on to the next one. Think on things, whatever is noble or honorable is another uh, word that's used here in some of your translations. An honorable man makes honorable plans. His honorable character gives him security. So, when we think on things that are noble, noble and honorable, you shouldn't think on things like, you know, Princess William and Princess Kate and their cute little kids, George and Charlotte. I don't know why I know all their names. I've obviously spent some time thinking about these people and reading People magazine, so pray for me. We're not supposed to think on things like that. There was at one time the idea of nobility meant something. And if you go back and you read sort of um, King Arthur and the legends like that, that's kind of what they're talking about. But in this world, it's hard to think about noble people because our heroes often let us down. But although we might not see noble people and honorable people every day in our life, what we do see and what we can think on and what there's plenty of evidence for are honorable and noble deeds. I've seen this church, the people in this church do many honorable and many noble things. When this church sends $10,000 to Puerto Rico, that's an honorable thing. When people from all walks of life come together and they get their boats out and, 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 and they, they drive down to, to Houston and they, they, they don't even know these people. And they're getting in their, in their little, what do they call them, the Cajun, Ar- Cajun Navy. And they're, they're going out and, and for days on end are just rescuing people. Why are they doing it? Are they doing it for money? Are they doing it for accolades? No, they're not doing that. They do it because they know it's the right thing to do. It's an honorable thing. It's a noble thing to do. And when we see people behave in such a way, it brings a tear to our eye. It makes us stand up a little straighter, doesn't it? Knowing that people like that in the world exist. Now, why? Why does it have that effect on us? And I'll tell you why. It's because we're created in God's image. And God is the most noble of all. He is our sovereign king. Amen. He is the source of nobility. And he's put that inside of us so that we are attracted to things that are honorable. We are attracted to things that are noble. And we should emulate those things. Things that are honorable. Things that are noble. The next one, whatever is right, think on things that are right. God made him who had no sin for us no sin to be a sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We live in a world, and remember I, was I told you a little bit earlier, where people will say there's no absolute objective truth. And what I was saying was what they really meant was there's no absolute morality. In other words, what is right for me may not be right for you okay? Now that's, I think, not true. We as Christians believe that to not be true for several reasons. But let me, let me just give you a, a proper definition to what moral relativism is so that you can sort of track along with me as I unpack this. Moral relativism is more easily understood in comparison to what we believe moral absolutism, okay? Okay. Absolutism claims that morality relies on universal principles, principles given to us by God. Christian absolutists believe that God is the ultimate source of our common morality and that it is therefore as unchanging as he is. So our moral values, our moral duties come from God. He's the source of them and he unfolds them to us. He gives, them, gives us to them in, in, right here in the gospel. He also puts them into our hearts. Moral relativism asserts that morality is not based on any absolute standard. Rather, ethical truths depend on variables such as situations, cultures, and one's feelings. Now, I think there are several great arguments against moral relativism. The first one being it's it's contradictory. Contradictory. You can't tell me that the only absolute moral truth is that there are no absolute moral truths. It's contradictory, right? The second thing is that universal morals and principles and values and duties, universal meaning that they're objective, they come from outside of our sphere, do seem to exist. There is a moral argument for God's existence that philosophers use, and it says that if moral values and duties exist, then God exists. The second premise is moral values and duties do seem to exist. The, third pers- the, the, the summary is therefore God seems to exist. And the second premise of that, that moral values and duties do seem to exist, are where people start to feel a little bit icky. And they're like, I don't know. I don't want to claim to be the final arbiter of what is right and wrong in the world. And first I would say to them, you're not, God is, so don't worry about it. But the second thing is... Moral values and duties seem to pop up. They seem to be pervasive. We seem to see them, no matter where we look in the world, across the entire moral landscape, we seem to see morality. And it doesn't seem to serve any uh, evolutionary purpose. In fact, in a lot of ways, it, a lot of moral values, things that we, that we hold valuable and, and, and see as, as moral things, like altruism, seem to seem a contra-evolutionary purpose. But nevertheless, if you look across cultures, you start to see the same moral values and duties. Now, the moral facts may change, but the morals themselves remain the same. I'll give you some examples. I'll unpack this just a little bit more so you can start to see this. Every culture values justice, right? Here in, in America, we, we, we believe in justice. We believe that people should be treated fairly. Um, that everybody is a human being. That they get their, their rights from God. They're inalienable and, and it is just. And, 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 and we need to treat them justly. In some countries, um, they view justice differently. If you've watched the news about Iran, you'll see if they catch somebody... Being a homosexual, they will will toss them off a roof. They believe that's justice. We would see that here in America as completely unjust. But nevertheless, the idea of justice itself is pervasive across every single culture. How about theft? Every culture seems to think that stealing is wrong. You look at it here in the, in, the, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, you see, don't steal. It's not yours. Keep your fingers off of it. You go to other cultures, stealing is wrong. They'll cut your hand off it. Now, they might view certain things as theft and other things not as theft. But the overall concept, the moral value, the moral duty is don't steal it exists across all cultures. How about murder? Everybody agrees that murder is wrong. Murder is something that people shouldn't do. Now, the moral facts may change. I will give you a perfect example right here in this country. We have people that believe uh, that everybody should have the right to choose whether or not they um, uh, 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 get an abortion. On the other side, we have people who are pro-life. So you have your pro-life and you have your pro-choice. Both sides, pro-life and pro-choice, will tell you that murder is wrong. One side just differs on what murder is. So the idea that morality exists and is universal and that it comes from God, it seems to be across all cultural lines. We have more proof that objective moral values and duties exist and what is right and wrong exists than we have proof contrary. Now, I give this this, this talk on, on, on moral values and duties. Sometimes in in lecture format. And you're getting a little piece of it here. And we always have a question and answer session. And invariably you get the guy, uh, the philosophy major, who will come up. And he's going to push back. And it's always a guy because women have more sense. (laughs) I don't know why. And the guy always kind of looks the same too, right? Um, So anyway, the guy comes up and he says, I don't believe you, Mr. Bennett. I don't believe you. When you try to tell me that your morality is right and my morality is wrong. I don't, in fact, I don't even believe you that absolute objective values exist. And I'll be saying, okay, all right. I've seen you before. I know where this is going. So I'll I'll play along and I'll push back a little bit. And I'll ask the people in the room. I said, now, he's not done anything wrong. He's, He's asking a question. He believes one thing. I believe another. How would you guys feel... Would you think it was right or wrong if for no reason I just walked over and punched him in the nose? You would recoil. You would say, no, that's not right. You can't just go punch somebody in the nose for asking a question. And I'll say, okay, what if I expand it? Okay, or this is all the people in the room. Maybe it's just the people in this room. We all kind of think along the same. Most of you guys are Christians, so you guys should kind of think along the same. Let's say we open it up across the whole United States. All kinds of different people who believe in different things and different gods. And, and they believe in maybe in, in no God and, and, or whatever. Let's, let's, let's just open it up to whole 375 million people living in, the Ameri- in America. And if I walked up and punched this guy in the nose for no reason... What do you think? Do you think the majority of people would say it was wrong or right? Of course they would say it was wrong. And he'll push back a little bit and I'll say, okay, let me bring it home a little bit more to you. Let me me give you a little harder decision. What if I brought a two-year-old child up onto this stage and I had this two-year-old child named Timmy and I took a, a lit cigar and I started burning Timmy in different parts of his body. Would you say that was right or wrong? And I'll tell you what happens. Nine times out of ten, this guy realizes he's stuck. and He'll say, you know what? I wouldn't like it, but I couldn't tell you it was absolutely wrong. At this point, the crowd starts to turn against this person because they know. They feel in their heart. They don't have to be told that burning a child with a cigar is wrong. And so to push it a little bit further, I know I need to really get this person to think about it. The rest of the people in the room have already started coming across to this point of thinking that there are absolute morale, morals in the world. But I've got I to gotta talk to this person. I've got I've to try to reach this person. And so I'll say, let me bring it home a little bit further. Do you have children? Yeah, I've got a little girl. Okay, what if I brought your little girl up here on the stage and started burning her with a cigar? How would you feel about that? And the light goes off. And they make the connection. The main argument that we hear in the world today isn't that morals um, are whatever you feel are right. Or that they're culturally based. The argument that we hear right now is that we have to be tolerant. But even people who believe in moral subjectivism aren't tolerant of everything. In fact, they're tolerant against people who believe in moral values and duties. We should never, ever, ever tolerate evil. Nobody tolerates evil. Nobody thinks it's okay. Well, you know, the Nazis thought they were doing okay. It's their culture. They should be able to do whatever they want. No, we don't believe that. Nobody lives their life this way. And in the end, guess what, guys? It really doesn't matter how we feel about things. It only matters what God has said about them. You know what's sad, though? Barna, who does a lot of research on this, on a lot of things, Christian and non-Christian, basically cultural stuff, but they always relate it back to um, the Christian world, Their their latest research is that about 75% of people in America believe in some sort of moral relativism. That's that's pretty bad. But what's even worse is 51% of Christians believe that morals are relative. And they said... Even born-again Christians, you're talking about people who've gotten, or who, who, who said they're, they're sold out. They're, they're totally believed that there's a, there's a creator of the universe. He's created everything in it. He's created you. He's created me. He's created flowers. He's created dogs. He even created cats. It was a bad day. But he, <laughs> he's done all this for us, and he's given us this law. But you know what? Maybe moral values and duties don't exist. That's sad. That's sad. They do. We know that. As Christians, we've bought into it. We believe it. We know it's true. And in the end, it doesn't matter what we think. It only matters what he says. And that's something to keep in the back of your mind as we have to navigate some of the thorny issues society's putting in front of us right now. Because we want to be nice and we want to be loving and that's absolutely what we should be. We should be loving people. But we have to speak the truth in love. But we have to know what the truth is first. And apply it only then afterwards. So there is is some hope in the world though. Believe it or not. um, A lot of this whole relativism stuff started from philosophers and started people from people in the academy and they're the ones saying that there was no truth and it kind of work gets way down through society into the point where even 51% of Christians are believing that morality is relative. Well, it's kind of flipped. They did a, a big giant survey of like 2,200 uh, uh, academic and professional philosophers in 2016 They released the results and for the first time and I think it's like 100 years the majority of philosophers in this world now affirm the existence of objective moral values and duties. They, they don't want to ground them in God. Don't get, they're not going there yet. But they, they look at the world and they say, look, it's there. We can't argue against it. Look at the evidence for objective moral ra- values and duties. And so hopefully what will happen is we'll start to see the tide turned and you can begin... To do that by speaking the truth in love. The next thing that Paul tells us to think on is purity. Your eye is the lamp of your body, Luke tells us. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, our body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness." Think on things that are pure. And this is a tough one for us in this day and age. Because when we turn on our computers, we turn on the television, we go to the movie. Uh, Purity is not usually what's reflected back at us. Uh, The world has changed a lot. Does anybody think, is it getting better or worse, do you guys think? Is the world getting more or, or worse? Yeah, I think you're right. In fact, I know you're right. I remember, uh, uh, it, it, let's, let's go back about 30 or 40 years. Um, now everybody has access to things they shouldn't be looking at. Pornography is what they call it. Porn. In my day, they called it what it was. Smut. Dirty magazines. That's what it was called. All right? And when you wanted to get one of these uh, magazines, you had, to, you had to take the walk of shame which means you had to walk into the 7-Eleven with everybody watching, walk up to the guy at the counter, point to the magazine that was hidden, and say, please give me that magazine of smut. I would like that magazine of smut. And please, while you're at it, please put it in a brown paper bag so that everybody knows I'm carrying home this bag of smut. All right? That's what it was like. If you, The idea was to, to do everything we could in this world to shame you so that you wouldn't look at it. But nowadays, you can't help it. It's with you everywhere. You turn on your computer, every single web page has it. You walk through the mall, you see it in the glass uh, uh, things, or you walk by Victoria's Secret, you're like, oh my gosh, my kids are with me, right? You turn on the TV, I'm I'm leafing through uh, channels, I'm thumbing through channels on the TV, and you get to like the cartoon network, and it's animated, and you think, oh, what's this about? And all of a sudden you realize, whoa, this isn't for kids, I don't even think this is for adults. But this is where we're going, so it's hard for us to think on things that are pure in this world, but we instinctively know when there are things we shouldn't be looking at. Our conscience tells us. The problem is, is that our consciences has become hardened. And we've become to accept things as okay. And so we, we have to go back and think on what is pure. And I can't think of anything more pure than Jesus on the cross. Here's God become man. Sinless. Completely pure. Never sinned his entire life. Took on the world's sins for us. He became impure for us, the only person who, ne- who lived, who never had sin. Thinking on that is not necessarily meant to, to, to make you feel guilty, although that's often the response that happens when we think on that because we realize there's a lot of impurity. But it also reminds us that, that we need to repent and return and that act in us burns out the impurities and helps us think on things that is pure. Paul goes on to say whatever is lovely and the Greek word for lovely is prosphiles. I love that word. It's so pretty just in and of itself. And there's also an argument in philosophy for the it's called the argument from beauty for God's existence. And I know that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, all right? That's what we say. But the idea of beauty is in everybody. And it's not surprising. God's created us in his image. Of course, we're going to be attracted to beauty. It does something to us. When we see something beautiful, when we hear a beautiful piece of music, it, it affects us, right? Right? Many of you have seen these videos of people who are, who are being cured of their colorblindness by these really cool glasses that they can get. Some of you seen these videos, right? You see these guys, these 60 year old men, gruff, grumbly guys, and it's their birthday, and they come on out and they say, Hey, hey, Uncle Phil, we got, you, we got you this present for your birthday. And he's like, Oh, yeah, what'd you get me? A new grill? All right. So he comes out there and he's all rough and grumble. And he starts opening this box up and he pulls out these glasses. And he's like, well, you got me some sunglasses? And they're like, yeah, 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 we got you some sunglasses. Go ahead and put them on. So Uncle Phil's never seen color in his entire life. And he puts on these glasses and tears just start streaming from his eyes. And he collapses and he has to take them off and put them back on. For the first time in his life, he's seeing the beauty that is creation that we've all taken for granted. That's what we're supposed to think on. I remember going to Hawaii for the first time. Has anybody here been to Hawaii before? Okay, the first time I went to Hawaii, I'll set this up a little bit for you. It had been 50 below zero in Fairbanks for three weeks. The sun had not come up in three weeks. It was dark and it was, and that's dangerous cold. All right, 50 below, you don't want to be leaving the house. First of all, when it's 50 below, your your car tires become square. So when you start driving down the roads, it's like driving a Flintstone car. Okay, so it's dangerous. So, but I've been prepping, ready to go to Hawaii. So happy! I'm gonna be. It's two more days. Two more days. I'm sitting there and I'm looking at all these videos and, and watching stuff and imagining what it's gonna be like in my life. But nothing I could ever imagine prepared me what it was going to be like when all my senses were engaged. When I landed in Hawaii and I walked out there and the wind was in my hair and I could hear the birds and the, and the, and the sun was sparkling off the ocean like diamonds and I tasted the fresh f- fruit, it took my breath away because it was beautiful. Because God has created us in his image to appreciate beauty. You can imagine what the Garden of Eden was like. And one day we're all going to get to experience that again when Jesus comes back. But in the meantime, there's plenty of beauty around. And you know what it is. You you can see it. You see it in people. You see it in nature. You see it in acts. You, You hear it in music. You see it in art. Think on these things. Watch how it affects you. Have the habit of thinking on things that are beautiful. Paul also says, think on things that are admirable. Things that we admire. Things that are worthy of our respect. Worthy of our reverence. Think on these things. With that, I'm going to call the band up. And I'm going to finish up here, here just a second. But I want to bring your attention to the wider context of Paul's verse here by reading you a little bit before in Philippians 4. He says, The Lord is near, so do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, in the meantime, think on all these awesome things. Why should you think on them? Because doing so, you will realize that the God of peace is with you. We live in a time where so much of the world offers us uh, 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 stress relief, when it offers us different ways to get rid of our anxieties. But that's what the world offers. Let me tell you what Jesus offers. We turn to John. In fact, we'll put it up here so you don't have to turn to it. You remember when when Jesus was speaking to the disciples and he said, listen to you, listen guys, in in a few few days, I'm going to have to go away and I'm going to be gone. And they start to freak out and they say, no, no, Lord, you can't leave us. How are we going to remember what you've told us? How are we going to behave? How are we going to survive without you? And he says, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, the advocate, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I I leave you with. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The world offers peace. Jesus says, I've got a better peace for you. And the pathway to peace, the pathway to understanding and experiencing that peace that transcends is by thinking on the attributes of God. And what are those? Those are beauty. Those are purity. Those are things that are noble. Those are things that are right and not wrong. Those are things that are truthful. For God is truth. God is love. God is nobility. God is beauty. God is the most admirable. Think on those things. And know peace that transcends all understanding, and I understand that there's people right now, maybe have worked courthouse, certainly people in this room, definitely people sitting at home watching, who don't know peace, who have tried to fill up that hole in their life to find that peace with something: alcohol, other addictions, mindfulness. Other idols that we've tried to fit into that hole, but that hole, of course, is a God shaped hole. That peace can only be found by filling it up with God. And so I want to pray for the people in this room, and I want to pray for the people who don't don't know Jesus yet that they will stop looking for it in places that you're never going to find it. You're just not going to find it on Facebook, it's not there. I know you might think you can escape to to Facebook when you're feeling times of stress. I just want to see something funny. But guess what? We know after study after study after study that going on social media just makes you more depressed. So stop looking for it in this world. And stop, start looking for it in the next. Because that's the world we were created for. Not this one. This is a short time we have here on earth. We have eternity ahead of us. If you've already made that decision for Christ, you know this. If you haven't made that decision for Christ, you can do that today. And so let's pray for those people right now. Heavenly Father, you are the source of all that we admire, all beauty and all truth. You've given us your holy scriptures as a guide, but you've also written these things in our hearts. And when we found you, we knew what peace was and I just want to pray for those people I want to pray for my family members I want to pray for my neighbors I want to pray for the people that are sitting in here and people that are watching online and the people that are over the courthouse who are searching desperately they're, they're, they're clawing at the ground they're, they're, they're searching in the gutter when they should be searching in the spires they're looking in the sewer for peace when they should be looking at the steeple when they should be looking at the cross Lord please help them find it Knock away every objection they could have. Let the Holy Spirit lead them to truth, to love, to beauty, and to peace. We ask this and all things in your holy name. Amen.